1: Buckle up for an
2: unfiltered dose of comedy.
3: Full disclosure, I've had a lot of sex, but honestly, having sex with me is like buying a Prius. It's much quieter than you'd expect.
2: (laughs) Epics presents Unprotected Sets. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey. Dennis Quaid here and I want to tell you about The Orange Tree. Now I have recently started a podcast network called Audio Up and much as I prepare for movie roles I've been researching the podcast landscape and listening to hundreds of podcasts. One in particular stopped me in my tracks. The Orange Tree. It's a true crime podcast series told with such authenticity and care by Haley Butler and Tinu Thomas two journalists who were University of Texas students when they started reporting on the story. It's about the 2005 murder of a young woman named Jennifer Cave near the University of Texas at Austin campus. What struck me most was the thorough examination of the case and the exclusive access granted to these two young reporters. What makes this true crime story so unique is their perspective. They're two young women who are the same age as Jennifer Cave and at very similar points in their lives. The Orange Tree is engaging, it's thoughtful, and really, really powerful. Take a listen to The Orange Tree on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. This is Lips L.A.
2: Hey folks, welcome to the show. On today's show, lip Service, we have Mr. Jamie Bauer. Jamie Bauer is an actor. You actually might know him from the Twilight Saga, Harry Potter his band Counterfeit, and a host of other things. Notably, the guy's an actor, he's a model, he's a musician, and he's killing the game right now. He's actually a a triple threat, as we would call it. Um, But yeah, all good stuff. Want to tell you that we're coming to you live today from WeWork as always. And I'm excited to let you know today about my favorite new sneaker company, nothing new, possibly the most sustainable, comfortable, and best looking sneakers around right now. If you guys don't know Nothing New, Nothing New is on a mission to raise the bar for sustainability in the fashion business. These are my favorite sneakers. They look cool. By many, many magazines have actually called them the most sustainable and stylish sneakers on the planet, including Esquire, Oprah Magazine, stuff like that. These sneakers rock. They're made from recycled plastics. I'm a big fan of theirs. I wear them all the time. And as I said, they are on a mission for sustainability, comfort, and style. Go check out At Nothing New. I'm a big fan of theirs. And coming up on the show today in just a moment, Mr. Jamie Bauer. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, guys. Welcome to the show. It's Scott Lips. You are listening to Lips Service. On today's show, we have the one and only Mr. James Metcalf Camber Bauer. Very long (laughs) name. Better known as... uh, you know, Mr. Campbell, Mr. Uh, Jamie Campbell Bauer. Um, I love Jamie. He's awesome, a great guy. You might know Jamie from tons of stuff, including the Twilight Saga, his band Counterfeit, which we're going to get into talking all things music. Pretty excited about that. And just from all the, the acting and, and uh, music stuff he's been doing, we're going to really get into a heavy music conversation with Jamie here. Jamie, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you so much, Great Scott. to see you. It's great to see pleasure. you, as always. I'm going to take off my glasses here because <laughs> I'm getting older it's a little bit hard to read you know I used to read pretty well without glasses but these days I kind of feel like I need classes to read a piece of paper about an inch from my face which is sometimes a little bit difficult um how's it going good man cool, feeling cool. good yeah so you just got off tour a little bit right yeah two awesome. weeks
3: ago or last week whenever it was feels like a whirlwind yeah doing, doing a stateside tour right yeah that's right yeah we did eight shows eight or nine shows uh up uh, in canada we started and then we went down east coast over and then ended up in la
2: and it's a different life right because obviously a lot of people know you from some of the films you've done and if you guys don't know I mean we'll talk about a little bit about your your, your film history, but obviously Twilight Saga, which you kind of, that's kind of how you gain notoriety, I would say, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. And then into stuff like Sweeney Todd and Harry Potter, and even now there's talk that I hear that you're doing something with Game of Thrones, Potent- possibly? Yeah, potentially, Is that a yeah. potential? Is that like a, I mean, can we talk about it, or is it not? We though?
3: can't talk about it too much. We can say uh, that we can, we've, potential. yeah, we've sort of begun the process of it, let me say that much.
2: So I don't know if, the, I, well, I'm guessing, and we can definitely get into this later on the show, but. This means that Game of Thrones is potentially sort of living on, which we didn't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. There's yeah. going to be like an offshoot, like Game of Thrones 2 or something. Yeah,
3: right. It's back in <laughs> this time as personal. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so take me back to the beginning, Jim. The, the show has also and always been about people's journeys, right? So obviously, you grew up in a, I don't think a musical family per se in London, but your father, I think, worked for Gibson Guitars. That's, that's from right. what I understand. So. Your journey, how you went from film, I guess you started playing music about 14 or 15, but then obviously the acting thing probably kicked in maybe a little bit early for you. And now you're out on the road touring and it's like, people are like, this guy does it all. He's got the band, he's been successful in movies obviously ridiculously good-looking, which everyone's jealous of, so we can't talk about that. You model, too, which is also also kind of how you started, right? And I, I love to hear people's journeys and, and their path and actually how you start out in this business because you're sort of the triple threat at this point where you've done campaigns for Burberry and things like that, right. but you also have done very successful movies, and now you're breaking in rock and roll, which is something very near and dear to my heart and and something I talk about constantly on the show. So kind of take us back to the beginning. You grew up in London, right?
3: Grew up in London. Yeah. My mum and dad were both in the music industry growing up. My mum was an A&R scout for Sony and then Sony BMG. Uh, Dad was marketing, I think, at Island Records for a bit. Um, And so I grew up in a household that was like, you know, full of like diverse music. I mean, my first show that I went to was a Guns N' Roses show when I was about... I don't know. I must have been like one or two. Amazing! I'm actually going to go
2: see them play in about two days. Sick. Yeah, we're going to Austin City Limits. So. I
3: hear, I hear. Axel's cut off all his hair, so you know, I, I assume it will be a slightly different show. Now he's got no hair. He,
2: you know what? He looks good. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, the only thing I'll say is and I love those guys. I have a long history with them. I mean, I feel like everything can kind of be said in two hours, three and a half hours. You just, we're living in a generation. We'll get into it because I just, I don't want to jump around too much. But I did see that you kind of disconnected from Instagram for a moment I did and uh, and we're living in this age where everything's so media and everyone wants everything so quickly and like I don't know if audiences can deal with like three hour concerts because you start losing people after like even with that catalog and, and of course they have a better catalog than maybe 99 percent of the rock bands ever aside from like the stones and the, I mean their catalog is incredible, and obviously appetite is still one of the best records of all time, but even for me, three hours gets a little long I'm like I could, I could you could say everything in like two, two and a half I, I like it yeah, keep it punk actually. Yeah, we want I mean, a 30
3: minute show and then we want to go home to our beds at nine o'clock <laughs>
2: Well I don't know about. <laughs> nine but i feel like it does it gets a little bit long but i do love those guys so i'm going to go i'm actually flying to austin to uh, go see them in austin City limits this weekend with Sick. i think it's cardi b and lizzo and the cure and billy eilish so Dope. it's a pretty amazing lineup you guys just played like reading and leeds and we did. i don't want to i don't want to jump around too much so from the beginning, your parents and so your mom was A&R, and your dad was working at Gibson.
3: Yeah, that's right. Well, he was he was marketing at first uh, at Island Records. I think that's where they met, uh, at, or Epic, something like that. I wasn't born at this point, so, you know, the memory's hazy for me at best. <laughs> right. um, not even hazy, No, even Non-existent, right. exactly, yeah. Um, and so, the you know, our household was very diverse, and ever since I was like a kid, all I wanted to do was perform. Like, that's all I ever wanted to do. I had my best friend growing up was a guy called Alexander, whose mother actually is an actress called Patricia Hodge back in the UK. And when we were, like, seven years old, we made, like, an air guitar band. You know, it was, like, the sort of 90s. It was Britpop. So we had our parents come in and we did, like, a couple of tracks. and
2: Blur, Oasis. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah Three Manic lines Street on Fruitsur. a shirt
3: as well, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, um, and it was always just who I was I think for me as like a person I I run really hot and it seems to lend itself really well to being a performer I seem to feel most comfortable when I'm on stage versus done, acting uh, I think both Yeah, I think both I think in any any sort of performance you know thing for me is, is, is going to be where I feel most comfortable whether it be as a character or on stage playing an instrument I think playing an instrument allows me to sort of be more myself and maybe be slightly more energetic than perhaps acting does, where I have to be very, like, in and aware. Um, but so it was just always what I wanted to do. I, I mean, I had a brief period in my sort of early teens of wanting to be a marine biologist, but, wow. I, you know, I'm not if very good. If you threw
2: good. that in the mix now, that'd be pretty impressive. <laughs> right, know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Else we got going I'd on. actually have something sort of <laughs>
3: tangible to do for the <laughs> right. world rather than just sort yeah. of fart around pretending to be other people. Yes. Um, well, I did do my
2: <laughs> research, so I even saw that you were, there's a, you know, Social causes are a big thing for you, obviously, too. So salmon, the, there's a, a salmon cause that you're attached to. And yeah. obviously there's other uh, causes, social causes we'll get into. And using social media for the good is always a really great thing. But talking through the music and, and growing up, too, obviously you were really you went through like a grunge phase. And you went, I heard there was, there was mention of like a Motley Crue phase, yeah. which is kind of my background and where I grew up. I, I moved out to L.A. in 1987. So Motley Crue was happening about 1984. Wow and uh it, the the club scene and the music scene in LA was like so alive and vibrant and my first gig I ever played was opening up for James Addiction. So Whoa. you can imagine what was going on back then. It was a pretty incredible time. But so that's cool because I love the fact that Motley Crue, from everything from Motley Crue to the grunge era and then I guess classic rock too are some of your inspirations growing up, right? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. So I mean, what were you listening to when when your parents were on this?
3: Gosh, I mean, the first kind of artists that I gravitated towards were actually more jazz artists. I gravitated towards, like, Frank Sinatra, Miles Davis, cool. Winter Marcellus, like... I always like performers that seem to, I think, drag up a piece of their soul and put it into their music. And Miles Davis, for me, I listened to that guy play trumpet, and I was like, "What the hell is this? Like, yeah. this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. This man sounds like like he's really upset when he's playing the yeah. trumpet, and it's beautiful." So that was kind of my first. Those those are my sort of first artists, and then that's complex music to yeah. grasp at twelve or thirteen. Were you that old at that point? Yeah, I was, I was like, I was 12, I think when I, I mean, when I discovered Frank, I was also like, you know, starting to feel things for the opposite sex, you know, and like Frank Sinatra is a great, you know, artist to sort of soundtrack that, do you know what I mean? Um, The king, Frank Sinatra. The the king, old blue eyes, indeed. Um, And so, you know, I, I think for me, it was just about the sort of connection that the artist was having with what it was that they were doing. Um, and then as I sort of grew older, I was gravitated more towards like rock music. I gravitated towards American rock music. You know, this is the sort of beginning of like Blink-182, sure. uh, Green Day, you know, even sort of very, very early My Chemical Romance. I really liked that. I really dug that kind of stuff when I was at school, but then also indie artists and when I was back home as well. Bands like the Libertines, the Cazals, cool. the Rakes. I used to play drums in like a little indie band back home when I was like. 16, 17, played a few shows with those guys, and I will, and I
2: don't want to jump around, but I will say your new single, It Gets Better, reminds me a little bit of that 90s, it's a lot, it's actually, a, it's almost like a popier sound than some of your heavier stuff a couple of years before, would you say? Yeah, totally, Yeah, and Definitely. it reminds me a little bit, it's getting into that, like, Blink kind of reminds me of that era of music, right? Would you say there's similarities in that?
3: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, we the producer that we use is Rob Cavallo. Oh, okay. So, Rob, I've known him for years. Yeah, so you know Rob. I he, mean, he actually produced my band him. when I was a kid. No way. Yeah. yeah.
2: No way. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. so funny. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, he's one of the best, so.
3: I need to talk to him about that. Yeah. He'll love that.
2: Yeah, the, my band was called Black Cherry and he did one of our demos. Um, my, yeah, of singer, my singer played in L.A. Guns. He, he knows me from back in the day, but I haven't seen him in quite a while. But amazing producer. Um, but that's great. Rob, if you guys don't know, also did Green Day. He's won Grammys. He's one of the, the better rock producers out there in, uh, at the moment and for many, many years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. So growing up, those were your influences. Sure. And then at some point, do you start you know, forming a band when you're 15 or 16? Right. And you start playing out?
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, at 15, I, I formed a band called it the worst name ever the darling Buds I mean it's just awful though, I've heard worse really yeah I have I, it's, I it, definitely feel, worse. it feels bad to say yeah but I started it when I was at school and it sort of had various different lineups. Um, we would play shows you know like in London occasionally or down on the coast near where we were from. Um, and it was something that I always just had you know from 15 till about 23 it was always in my back pocket. I would always play shows when I wanted to. We would write for it. We're just, you know, it was just my thing. Yeah. And, um, and then we played our last show as that band when I was about 24, 25. So we're talking like five years ago now almost. And, um, and a friend of ours came to the show and he was like, this is really good. Like you guys can like play obviously and like you sing and like it's great. It looks great. You guys sound great. It's killer. But, you know, we don't like the name. And, you know, your message is, you know, not necessarily what I think you guys could do. Why don't you go to a studio and just go and work on some new material? And I was like, okay, that sounds amazing. So hooked up with a producer called Matt Terry back in the UK would, at this point in time, I was doing a West End show. So I would do eight shows a week, finish on Saturday night, drive to Matt's studio Saturday night, which is like a two and a half hour drive. Like, record and write on the Sunday and on the Monday, get on the train, go back and wow. go do another eight shows a week. Hectic schedule. Super hectic. When but you say
2: West End, would you mean theater? Or yeah, mean, oh, I was okay. doing a musical at the okay. time. I Some was, of the things don't, you know, not everything in Britain we know here. So I'm like, it's the like West Broadway, End is, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, the West End being Broadway. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right it's like Broadway. You do have a <clears throat> lot of Broadway type shows in London. I saw the Queen yeah. We Will Rock You show there when I was there years ago. Yeah. Okay, cool. So just to for my purposes you were sort of doing a broadway show uh, there yeah, let's just call it broadway i was <laughs> okay. in new york doing broadway <laughs>
3: um, and uh, and and so and I also at this time i got sober so i got sober when i was 25 26 um, and i found myself with sort of all this like i mean excess time excess energy yeah. like drive and passion and i just like poured it into music i was really lucky because i had The stability of the show, and I loved the show and the family, the Broadway West End production that I was doing. And I loved had you that.
2: acted in many things But was that your sort of first break into acting?
3: Well, no. I mean, my first break into acting was uh, Sweeney Todd. Okay. But I before then I had done like uh, the uh, National Youth Theater and the National Youth Music Theater, just as, you know, they're just kind sure. of like things that you do when you're a kid, if yeah. you're interested in it, basically to keep you out of trouble during the summer period when you're meant to be on holiday. It's almost My mom like, just needed me for, to do something, basically.
2: Right. It's almost <laughs> yeah. like being in school, like at uni and doing acting, I guess. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. exactly.
3: exactly. Exactly, yeah, totally. So in the summer holidays you would go and do that and I had a few friends that I would do that with and, uh, you know, I was always sort of involved in my local youth theatre scene as well, like I did Bugsy Malone when I was a kid and, you know, would always put on plays at school. It was just part of who I was. Um, But my big break came when I was 18. Uh, I was still at school and I got cast in Sweeney Todd as Anthony Um, and I was still living at school because I went to boarding school So I was still living at school. I would get picked up at like four o'clock in the morning, go and like film, get back at like seven or eight in the evening. Be like, hey guys, how's it going? They'd be like, I was really you know today was really crap you know I had to do maths for like you know right. three hours and I was like oh that's that's sick you know I was I was, I was, was with Tim Burton sorry I was with Tim Burton just a small director down the street w- Tim Burton what an asshole! Right. <laughs> and I mean, uh, that Jamie guy is definitely an asshole. yeah exactly yeah who does he think he hmm. is um and then from there like from there I just continued to work like I I, I had desires and thoughts of going and doing um, uh, drama school you know like university Uh, but at that point in time I was like well look I can either take you know three years out of the industry that I want to be in and kind of do the drama school thing and then leave and get an agent but I've already got an agent you know this wonderful guy called uh, Simon Beresford picked me up when I was like literally just started he was the one actually put me into the audition I went to go see him to talk to him about drama schools, and I was like dude you know I would be happy playing you know third tree from the left in (laughs) you know an awful adaptation of Midsummer Night's Dream and um, he then hadn't called me and then he called me up and was like yo you know they're they're doing this audition and you should go and check it out because you sing and you'd be comfortable doing that and I was like okay sick went and did it had no like expectation of how it would go and then Two weeks, I think, before my 18th birthday, I got the call being like, you got the gig. And I was like, sick. This is amazing. Everything blew up. And from there, I just carried on working. And I think for me, what I really have enjoyed about my life, obviously not knowing the side of going to drama school, is, you know, learning as you go, learning on the job and learning from those people who are the best in the industry. Like, of course. I've had such, like, I've been so lucky. Truth is,
2: you did, I do mean, that. you did pretty well. From there, you end up doing Twilight, I mean, right. another small film, with small actors yeah. that did nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. um, I think you went on to do a couple of those too, right? You did two or three of the actual I, Twilight I did Sagas? three of them, yeah. yeah. I
3: did uh, I did uh, the second one, and I did New Moon, and I did uh, Breaking Dawn, part one and two.
2: So was it, you sort of run this parallel path of performing music and, right. and trying to make it in the band, but also the acting thing is taking off sort of exponentially a bit quicker. And at that point, did you think to yourself, you know, I love music, but obviously there's acting, something's going on with this acting. I'm, I'm working with all these small directors, Tim Burton. <laughs> I'm doing small movies like Twilight. So I should probably like take a break from the music or had you started like, were you writing the whole time still thinking, I still want to make it in music?
3: I was writing the whole time. I think for me, like I've said, you know, it, performance was always something that I was just naturally drawn to in, and in whatever capacity I can do that, I will pour all my energy into that. Um, And so I was still playing shows. I mean, I remember I must have been like 20. So by this time I'd done Sweeney Todd. You know, my career was already going. We had booked a show in Brighton at this really like massive club. Some promoter had put us on. We turn up. It's literally the headline band. Two of their mates and one of our mates watching the show.
2: I was just going to ask you if you had any spinal tap moments. Oh, mate! Guess thousands, what? Thousands. Sounds like you. Thousands. Did <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know what it's like. Yeah. I mean, when yeah, you first totally.
3: start, you know.
2: I told someone the story the other day where I drove from New York to Chicago with the band I was in once, and for some reason the club booked us at eight, and the doors open at eight thirty, and I drove like sixteen hours to get to. Sh- I was like. Why would they book us before they're open? I mean, Jeez. at that point, you're really your odds of playing to people are pretty small. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're yeah, not yeah. even open, yeah. <laughs> so, and I think the only ones who showed up when we did an install were the singer's parents, and it was almost like a scene out of our bar mitzvah. They're like, Howie, we play that song from your bar mitzvah?" <laughs> and I was like, I, "Did I just drive like 32 hours for this?" Like. I don't I don't know how this happened. But so that's funny, because my next question to you was obviously like, were there spinal tap moments? But obviously there were spinal tap
3: moments. Mate, there's still spinal tap moments. Of course. It still happens, you know, getting lost in venues, vans breaking down, you know, like wireless systems interfering with over, you know, overflying planes and all that kind of stuff as well.
2: Pods that are not opening. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Tiny (laughs) Stonehenge Yeah. So do you think at that point when that kind of stuff is happening, you know, maybe I should just stick to the acting?
3: No, never. Never. Okay. Never, never, never. I uh, Music for me, I think music for me was also one of those things that people were like when I was younger, nobody ever really sort of believed in me that much when I was, when I wanted to be a musician. Mm. I was the kid that would go spend like hours in the drum studio because I was a drummer first yeah. and foremost. And so like- That's why we get along. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because we just like to hit <laughs> stuff and be yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so I'd be in there and, and, like, you know, I bought my first drum kit. I bought it for, like, $100 for my next-door neighbor. I'd saved up for it. My parents would never get me, like, rock lessons for any, like, guitar or drums or bass or anything like that because they were all, like, the singers or the people that we've worked with, the musicians, they're all self-taught. So if you want to do it, do it yourself. And I was like, okay. Fine. If that's the way you're going to do it, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going to do that. Nothing like support when you right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I do. I love my parents yeah. very much. But yeah, I, and, and also, I think I'm very grateful for that like level of thought about music in general, which is like, push yourself yeah if you want to do it you will make it happen and go for it as much as you possibly can do you know
2: do you think if your parents were more supportive it would have changed things for you because obviously it's uh it would have been easier yeah it would have been easier
3: do you know what i mean
2: i always tell i have so many stories we could we could rip on these stories for many hours but when i was a kid it's funny jamie i said to my dad you know i want to go to pit and my dad's like that's amazing the the uh, pittsburgh institute of technology you want to be a scientist I said, no, Dad, I'm going to the Percussion Institute of Technology. I'm going to move to L.A. and be like a rock star, try and be a rock star at 16. Right. He wasn't very happy with that, so, Um, (laughs) you know. Did you end up going? I did go, and yeah, and then I joined a band with some guys that were heavy into drugs and things that, you know, a kid from Long Island, they were like, this is not, I moved to Hollywood Boulevard. I had this, like, concept in my head that hollywood boulevard was like nice nice place to live in because i saw the movies it was like crack alley when i moved there so um there was like cookers in my doorways living in my door it was not great i i think my rent was 275 a month and and i lived on bagels and top ramen for at least two or three years and uh Playing in a band with some guys that were definitely not sober. Um, just <laughs> right. <laughs> put it like that. Um, I was. But God bless I, LA. Yeah, I was, but they were not. But, uh, so at a certain point you start landing all these big
3: movies. I mean, what was it like to like
2: land Twilight?
3: It was crazy. I actually, the so the story with that is I wanted to be involved in the first one. I actually wanted to play Edward Cullen okay. and, uh, and timing didn't work out. I was on a press tour for Sweeney, and I was in New York, and they were casting here in LA, and it just kind of fell apart. And then with the second one came round, Chris Weitz was uh, casting people here in LA, and I sort of walked into the audition room. I completely fudged the audition, or so I thought. I I'm was sure you like, did fine. "Well, apparently, <laughs> so right." I got the job, <laughs> yeah. and um, and it was it was mad, you know, to be involved. Even, like, like the small involvement that I had in something so massive was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Like, it was such a cult and pop, you know, phenomena that... Crazy fans that are still stalking you, I'm sure. Huge crazy fans. I remember we went to Rob. It was, like, Rob's birthday. We were in Vancouver. And, like, we turn up at the restaurant. It's, like, most of the cast are there. Restaurant's pretty chill. But by the time we've left, there's, like, 200 people outside waiting for him you Know and like they're here right now, they're so here yeah, exactly. So yeah. I tweeted that leave, Rob was here, not yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're outside, <laughs> so it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy, but yeah. like, I'm still really good friends with a lot of those people. I like Taylor, he's, he's great guy. lovely, yeah, he's
2: yeah, a, great he's guy. a I'm sweetheart. I like him too, I like him, a and, lot. and I know Green. Rob, but I, I, yeah, Taylor's great, yeah, Taylor's awesome. So that just starts happening, and it kind of, your career takes on a life of its own. It sort of starts, because those fans are so fanatical, those movies were such a big hit that obviously things just sort of start to spiral for you in a good way, right? Yeah, totally. No, yeah, not yeah, in a yeah, bad yeah. way.
3: Yeah, well, yeah, both, <laughs> maybe. Both, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, things sort of just start kicking off, and uh, what what did I do? I mean, I did a movie called Anonymous, which was about the authorship of Shakespeare's work, um, directed by Roland Emmerich, who I absolutely mm-hmm. adore. I did a TV show for the Stars Network called Camelot. I played King Arthur. Right, sure. Yeah. Um, gosh, Harry I, Potter. Harry Potter. That's another very small brief, movie. Like, another Let's small talk movie. About that, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, Harry Potter. You know, like a British institution. I was involved in the second to last movie, and you know, like. It's to be asked to be a part of that because that was literally a phone call. You know, I was like sat in the back of a car. How my does agent that
2: feel when you get, I mean, it's got
3: to feel pretty good. Still, it's even kind to this of day. mad. Yeah. yeah, it's mad. I think, you know, it's a great ego massage. Yeah. So let me tell you that. It's like, have it. you heard
2: of Star Wars?
3: Yeah, exactly. So we have this offer for you. Yeah. You yeah. Know. I'm like, who? What? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. I've got <laughs> right. other things to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was crazy. You know, I mean, I grew up with those movies, I grew up with those books. You know, my brother was a huge, huge fan of those books growing up. I remember like reading them his books to him yeah. when i was a kid um do you think so, your
2: modeling background kind of prepared you for anything because obviously you we were again there was sort of a, a three-tiered like you were doing all these things at once right because you started modeling with select i believe that's right yeah uh, when you were how old 15 15 so at the same time you're modeling you're also getting cast in movie roles and you're also playing in a band so i guess your brain is sort of like well these are all kind of working but if this one's going the fastest i'm gonna do that and, and run a parallel path, and keep doing the other two things. Is yeah. that kind of how it works.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I always just kept working whatever it was that I wanted to do. I was just like that kid that I'm like a bulldog, Scott. Yeah. When I get hold of something, I'm going to shake it right. until it dies. <laughs> right, you know, right, right. and uh, and that's how I treat my life. Yeah. You know, and and with work particularly, um, I was just overwhelmingly excited. I think by all these amazing prospects that were coming my way and. I just like, I love meeting people and I love working and I love being in front of the camera and I love playing characters and I love discovering parts of myself. Yeah. And I think, you know, modeling, acting and music provide me with the three best possible options to do all of Definitely. those things.
2: Wasn't Robert a model too, Patterson? I think he was. Yeah. yeah. Very briefly. It's yeah. pretty synergistic. I mean, obviously, you know, you're in front of a camera, then you're moving. It's all kind of goes hand in hand. and, yeah. and you know, at some point, obviously, the music, you sort of made a conscious decision, you know, I'm really going to go for the music at this point, too. Obviously, you had a successful film career. So, you know, in this day and age where music is gone, I'm always talking about the state of rock and roll. It's probably the most prevalent subject on this show constantly. And and thankfully, we have amazing bands on the show from the Chili Peppers to... David Leroy from Van Halen to Def Leppard this week and you, which is great. Oh, I um, feel honored to be amongst those <laughs> yeah. people, Scott. But, but I have to say, like, you know, it is, it is at a strange time period. And obviously, like... You know, you really have to hustle these days to get noticed, and and I love sort of promoting. I had a, a friend on here the other day, um, Jack Saunders, who's on one of the BBC Radio. Yeah, great uh, guy. He's a great guy. So we were talking just the other day, and he's a friend about the state of rock and roll. And so he's championing Youngblood, who we work with, and people like that. And so, but it is hard to stand out in music these days when you're doing rock because it is a little bit, obviously, sort of you know it's not at the forefront of people's minds and when you're the Z generation it's more obviously hip hop and sure. country and pop and everything so you know how does it feel like sort of really going for it and i'm sure you've done the whole thing from being in a van to like playing on you know to being in a tour bus and doing everything in between right. so Talk to us about sort of like where your head is at in music. Right now, you just released a new song. Yeah. you're on tour. I see you're playing in a great crowd. You're doing letting you're do- letting <laughs> you're doing reads <laughs> and letting. That's a combination of both of them. Uh, you're doing reads. You're doing letting stuff like that. And so, how does it feel to be playing rock and roll at this day and age? Right, because uh, obviously this is a it's a different time period from the Guns and Roses and Motley Crue time period where it was only about rock and roll.
3: Definitely, it feels. It's an interesting question. I mean, it it feels like it should do for me. You know, like I've always been fascinated and driven by guitar-driven music. It's always been my first love. I think any instrument, you and I drummers, so we know this, that you pick up and is expressive immediately, for me is something that I'm like, okay, I dig this, I'm into this. So I'm not particularly like conscious, I don't think, of like being in a rock band as it were i'm just being a musician Musician, right sure um our first record that we made was an album called together we are stronger and that was described as like a punk album and i was like if you want to call it punk go for it like
2: yeah i don't call it hard rock please do i think it's hard rock. it's kind of yeah but it's music you know
3: at the end of the day like for me it's like music is a outlet for self for expression of self in whatever feeling that may be and you know, at the moment, we as a band are sort of capturing, I think, uh, there's a sensitivity that we're trying to put into our music. There's still an anger that we're trying to put into our music too. a sense of irony. um, And also like real honesty as well. And that at the moment is lending itself to a really diverse and interesting mix of sounds you know we touched on it gets better already the first single that we just released off the new record and that is you know slightly poppier let's say than the other stuff that we've done yeah but that's but that's not the direction of the entire album you know the next track that we're going to release is a track called 1144 which is a social political track you know about the state of the world in which we live and how that leaves me and, you know, the people that I encounter and the fans and young people in general feeling, you know, it it pisses me off, I'm going to be honest with you, like the state of the world that we're living in right now. We're in a very weird state of the world right now. Yeah, we're pretty screwed, let's be honest. Um, And so, you know, I feel lucky. First of all, I feel very, very lucky to be able to be in a position to play music for a living. It's kind of all I've ever really wanted to do. So you know? would you say
2: you love it more than the acting? I love
3: I love both of them. Yeah. I think the music feeds into that part of me that is like this is mine. Yeah. And this and and this is who I am. The acting is is an opportunity for me to sort of Uh, let go of life experience in a different way. And it's a different
2: sensation when you're rocking 500 people in a club and you're moving them and they're all moving to music that you create. It's immediate versus you're doing a film, you see it in a theater... Or a TV show, whatever it may be, and it's like it's a delayed reaction. You can't experience that same reaction immediately like you do performing on stage. Hundred percent. And I always try and explain to people: there's no other feeling in the world like performing in front of a bunch of people and they're moving and grooving the music that you've created. There's nothing like it. Yeah. There so it it's uh, it's a different, a completely different experience. So, you know, you just got off the road, you were doing a bunch of tour dates, you're here for a couple of weeks, and then you're back out again. I see you're doing, like, Italy, I see you're doing Poland, you're doing Czechoslovakia, you're hitting everywhere. You're actually going to be back in London, too, which is great. Yeah. And everything's about this new record coming out. Is that on Lava Records? That
3: is going to be on Lava. Yeah, cool. with lovely Jason Flom and Jason Jill Flom. Padone.
2: Yes, let's shout out to Jason Flom, our All friend. Right. Jason's actually uh, the guy that helped break Red Fleet and an old friend of mine for many, many years. Uh, and the truth is me and Jamie connected not long ago about almost a year ago yes, right. and he's like Jamie should come on your show and I was like yeah, of course I mean we had a great time so It Gets Better is the new record um, I definitely want to talk about the whole album Sure. did you use Outside Writers was everything you so, know, done internally
3: yeah oh god uh, so first of all we, when we were starting to write the new record we moved into a house in Northamptonshire in the middle of England cool. all together I've always had dreams of doing the sort of Rolling Stones and Exile thing where they went over yes. to France you know I to am. To avoid having to pay the tax or whatever the problem was, there <laughs> we fortunately had no problem with tax. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, we're a starting <laughs> right. band. You know, right. it's like whatever. Are you concerned? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Her Majesty's government didn't really give a crap at that point. Right. Um, and, That's a great movie, by the way. If, if you guys haven't seen that true Stones that. movie, check it out. True that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so we moved in there, and we had like three writing rooms, a big rehearsal room. It was like a country house. We all lived together for like six months. Um, And there was a lot of material that was written in there. Um, When we first started writing it, a lot of the stuff that we were blasting out was very similar to the first record that we made. There was sort of like a natural ease of sort of being like, okay, well, let's just sort of make like heavy rock music because that's really easy. And that seems to be what we're good at. Um, and then it was like, okay, well, let's see how much further we can push ourselves. Let's continue. Um, so towards the latter stages of like of living in that house, we were starting to produce some quite like out there material. And then we did a tour in the U.S. last summer at the end of the tour. I met you.
2: Oh, yeah. True, true. Outside
3: yeah. the Roxy or somewhere yes, like that's that. True, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Outside Rainbow. Yeah. And um, I can't remember who I was playing. I forgot about all that,
2: yeah. I, I, I That whole scene is a blur to me, but I think it was with Will, your manager,
3: right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were going to yeah. go watch a show and right, you were right. there. Was but it... who was the band, though?
2: I can't... Was it The Struts? It was The Struts. Right, because I that's worked with exactly those guys a little bit and they were on the show not long ago, and old friends of mine, too. And so... Right, it was the struts. We met outside. Yeah. You with your manager. He's like, you guys should connect. I'm like, great. So that's right.
3: So, yeah. I remember you. I remember looking at you and being like, that's one cool cat. <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: you were like, I'm you were just trying to keep up with you, bro. No, yeah. You're doing it really well, thanks, Scott, thanks, by the way. Right, <laughs> well, those that's one of the few bands, and we always talk about it, Jim. That's actually those guys, you guys, Palais Royale, blood right. you know, gretel von Fleet, obviously. There's there's a handful, you know, but I wish there was more. I think there will be. I feel like, you know, the fact that Greta Van Fleet is playing two nights at Madison Square Garden, it's pretty incredible. The fact that Youngblood is, you know, going from 30,000 followers to a million and a half and playing in front of 30 people to 5,000 now right. in the span of the year, right? All these things, like, are showing me, look, we might be one step away from the next Guns and Roses or, you know, another Greta You know, it's all, it's all happening. I, I don't feel like we're far away from it, but... You know, is it ever going to return to the form of like you know the Guns and Roses era, or it was just about rock? I don't think so. I think we've yeah. moved on culturally. But you probably like all kinds of music anyway. I'm sure you're, you're big into. I keep hearing those Harry Styles like conversations every time I watch an old clip of you. Like really? right, were you guys friends, or did you? No, we never you, hung out. I okay.
3: think I think we met each other once, and I sat I sat across from him at a Soho house somewhere. Once okay. as well, but mm-hmm. we've never. There was many One
2: Direction conversations when I was researching that, really, because people put together like funny clips of you. Like on the, all, of all your interviews, because you have crazy fans, I'm sure from right. like the Twilights. So I don't know. I somehow got a lot of. There was a lot of Harry Styles conversations going on. But no, Harry, Harry he did make a good record, though. I will yeah, say, Son of the Times yeah, is a banger. Like, like it's really, really yeah. good. I'm yeah, a big he's Bowie a fan, songwriter. so it was kind of like in that realm. But, yeah, me too. Yeah. Me
3: too. I dig that for yeah. sure. Yeah. No, uh, Harry and I, Harry and I, and the One Direction, we've never we've never written <laughs> never together. <laughs> no. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so yeah.
2: so where where it's at today? Obviously, we were just talking a little bit about you know. Some of the things that you feel like really near and dear to your heart, obviously mental health. Yeah. I know social causes and, and we were, I was reading something again about like salmon die-offs and how you were talking about that on uh, Instagram. So obviously the way you feel about social media, if it can be used for a good purpose, does it? Because obviously you get all kinds of weird people that connect with you, especially from doing those films and your band and whatnot. And I do want to hear some of those weird stories because I heard a couple, but I feel like you can never hear enough weird stories about <laughs> stalker fans. and and where we're at in today's culture how far people will go to meet you and stuff like that but uh, talk about some of those causes James that are like near and dear to your heart that you feel like if you were to get back on Instagram and I don't know if this you know, break that you took as a permanent break or it's just sort of like you need a cleanse because obviously we live our lives on the phone versus connecting in person, which yeah. I always talk about too when I'm going out to dinner with people. I'm like, can we put our phones away for like an hour? Yeah. Um, but are some of those causes something that's things that are super like close to your heart that you yeah. want to talk about? Cause it'd be great to hear about it.
3: 100%. I mean, I, we touched on it earlier, but I'm I'm now four and a half years sober and so For me, going through that journey um, has led me to a place of service and wanting to give back. um, And that being one of my sort of like primary purposes as a human being. Um, One of the things that I see in young people nowadays is a lack of connection between other human beings and we live in a society now that sort of tells us that we have to be strong that we have to win that we have to succeed no matter what the cost and that talking about how we are or how we're feeling with another person is not necessarily the right thing to do right Sure. you know we live in this world that it's like if you're upset that's kind of a weakness you know um and that for me is highlighted when i talk to young people and they sort of they're like man like i don't feel well yeah. like i don't feel happy within myself i feel concerned and afraid you know we also here in america live in a country of fear right a lot of the sure, time of course and that affects kids and people in a huge way naturally i think as human beings we um we have this, you know, we we have our amygdala, which creates a flight or fight response, you know, and, and, and that's, you know, a sort of where one of the places where anxiety can come from. But we live in this society now where, like, fear is so prevalent that we have no choice but to sort of constantly be on edge. And unless we're talking about that, we're kind of screwed, particularly Definitely. young people. So one of my things that like I'm trying to do with the band and when we meet fans is create you know a safe space, a community, an atmosphere where sharing is acceptable Definitely. where we can talk about whatever it is that we've gone through, and hopefully through that, find some sort of redemption or cleanse, I think, in some way.
2: Yeah, it's uh, probably a great feeling when you meet fans and they say, you know, your music changed me. It helped me through this time. And I'm sure it's not all the time, but when it happens, it's nice that you're reaching people like that. And I'm sure it does happen to you quite a lot where people are like, you know, I listened to this song you did, and it definitely helped me through a really hard time. And, and I guess... If I have to look at the positive side of social media, there is that thing where there are some people that use it to draw attention to mental health and they're trying to help people. There's a negative side where there's a lot of pressure associated with social media. There's bullying. There's all kinds of stuff. They're terrible about it. But I always, I'm like a glass half full kind of guy. So I try and look at the positive side of, of life and how you can actually help people through it because no question there's a negative side of it, you know? So Yeah,
3: there massively is. I think the pressure is another thing as well. You know, I think it stems back to the society that we've built for ourselves, which as far as I can see is sort of at a tipping point now. Um, I think the pressure that something like social media builds on young people is really, really astronomical. And I yeah. think it's something that we need to address and we need to be aware of how to use social media in the most positive way like you say you know pushing out a strong message a good message Definitely. a helpful message rather than sort of being like here's a picture of me up against the pink wall right. outside Paul Smith you know That's yeah, me. No, right <laughs> <laughs> Hey look I we're all we yeah. we can all be victims of yeah. it and we're and we're all accountable for our own actions I think now what I would like to do and what I'm trying to do is just try and wake people up a bit to be like, yo, like, let's start caring for one another rather than caring for ourselves. There's a sense of purpose that comes with loving another person or Impressive. loving humanity that is far greater than when I serve myself. Impressive. You know? Is that what It Gets Better is about? It Gets Better is about that. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, verse one is very self-reflective. Um, it's very personal. It is about my journey of going through, you know, sobriety, uh, reconnecting with the world around me. And then through that, you know, finding hope and finding positivity. Verse two has a lot more like of a social message. Like it was actually written. The second verse was written with my doppelganger, who you may know, do you know, Erica Linda? I'm um, not sure. She's a, she's a model. She's been around for some time. She's she's amazing. She's totally, totally Oh, I feel lovely. like... Did I meet her with you outside the Roxy? You did, mate. I did. I yeah, did. you okay. did. Yeah, we look like you know, each other. I
2: really have a bad memory, but certain things I remember, so that's good. That's crazy that I remember that. Um, yeah, so, so that's... So obviously there's a tie-in to to the new music and everything. So yeah. I want to actually jump to It Gets Better. We're going to play the track and come back in a moment and talk more about your crazy tattoo that you have on your bum and how that <laughs> happened. See you in a second. Um, so on the Dash radio show, I can play the song. On the podcast, I can't because you have to okay. license the music. But it's, go- it's also going air- to air on uh, Dash, so we'll play the song. And Actually, is there another song um, that you want to play too from like well I guess we can't play any of the Nothing, there's another new song out but uh, yeah. if there's another because I'll play one more song too on the show um, is there any of the songs like do you want to play we could play Letters to the Lost which Letters is kind to the of Letters Lost okay yeah, it's kind of depressing okay but at the end we'll play that song too yeah. cool so not for the podcast because they're they're like cut different. okay alright guys uh, yeah we were just talking about um, Jamie's strange tattoo uh, one of my favorite stories about you because you know listen, at the end of the day, you have to laugh Jim i'm pretty <laughs> sure you have that tattoo that I saw and and the story behind it was pretty funny to me, like how you well I'd let you tell it because you I'm sure you're going to tell it way better than <laughs> I tell it, but you do have a Bob Dylan like tattoo on your ass, right I do yeah and how did that come about? How uh, old
3: were you when that happened? Oh gosh, i think i was I think I was sixteen, fifteen sixteen around then, I was in Camden with a friend of mine called Ivan. We got really drunk not that I'm condoning getting drunk underage um,
2: also don't get tattoos when you get really drunk yeah Just FYI. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> yeah. a terrible idea yeah, yeah. for sure
3: yeah um, yeah we were we were wasted and it was a Sunday and we used to have to go back to school on Sundays um, and uh, And I was like, we should go get tattoos, bro. (laughs) He was like, okay, sick. And I was like, I've loved Dylan since I was a kid. You know, he was like, you know, the troubadour and just like, you know, writing music for the Times and and social commentary and all that. Um, And so I was like, all right. Wicked! I'll get Bob Dylan, and Ivan was a massive classical music fan. So I was like, "I'll get Bob Dylan, and you get Beethoven." And he was like, "Great, sick!" So we go to this like <laughs> ratty ass joint down the end of the street. It's underneath a hairdresser's. You know, it's so not legit. Weirdly enough, I did the actually guy had like up... a
2: ballpoint pen. He was yeah, doing totally. tattoos. He was like
3: shaking. He'd been up <laughs> right, all night. You know, right, he's like wired, right. tripping out. Um, Never
2: a good sign. At that <laughs> point, were you like, maybe I shouldn't go through this, or were you like, you know? Just...
3: At that point, I was like, no, this is a wicked idea. <laughs> it <Right, laughs> okay. sounds right. great. Okay, yeah, no, my uh, my sort of self sabotaging nature sort of kicked in there. Okay, and um, and so I, so we went and did it, and I got Bob Dylan, and I was like, yo, Ivan, it's your turn. He's like, I'm not fucking doing that. Are you mad? <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you're an idiot. And I was like, oh my god. So I had to sit on the train. Going home with like one butt cheek off the seat, <laughs> it's like bouncing around. I didn't show my mum for ages. Also,
2: I guess when you first start dating someone, that's a weird conversation piece, right? Like they're like, "What? What's the uh, Bob Dylan on your ass, mate?" it's <laughs> Even <laughs> now,
3: like going into like a changing room in a you know a men's locker room at a gym, I'm sort of overwhelmed by shame. <laughs> right. I'm like well, getting changed. It's not changed. his face. It's just it's his, just his it's his just name, his right. name. Yeah, if, if it was yeah. his face, it would be
2: even stranger,
3: but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, both are weird though, <laughs> Scott. Like, they are, that's they are, weird. it's
2: weird, let's face it, it's a strange fact about you, Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's one of the, that's definitely one of the things I want to touch base on, super important, and the other would be just probably because we talked about stalkerish internet, you know, your fans from over the years and all the stuff you've been a part of. So some of the stranger gifts that you've received and things that have happened to you being part of that culture.
3: Man, oh gosh, where do we even start with that?
2: I'm sure you've got plenty of stories.
3: Man, I mean, I remember when we were, when we were shooting the last two Twilight movies. I mean, obviously there's a lot of very Passionate people, let's say, that surround that that book series and the film franchise, um, and we were staying in this. I was in this hotel in Baton Rouge, and uh, and my phone rang, and I sort of, I picked it up, and I was like, "Hello," and all I heard was,
2: "That was me, <laughs> I was like, Scott. Are you there?" I was like, "Hello, Scott,"
3: and then the phone went dead, and I was like. Okay, that was fucking weird. Yeah. And then it happened the next day.
2: Now, do you use a pseudonym or are you going under your real name?
3: At this point in time, my pseudonym was Logan Couture.
2: Okay, I mean, how would someone know that was even you? Right, it? exactly, well, totally. Unless they listen to this podcast.
3: And uh, Well, now that's right. not my pseudonym <laughs> right. anymore. I have to yeah. think of a new one. Yeah. Damn, okay, I've foiled myself. <laughs> right. And... Um, I mean she must have I don't know how she got the room number yeah. I mean I have no idea and then so the next day it rings and I and I pick up and, and I'm like hello and it's this girl at the end of the phone and she's like hello and I'm like hello and she's like I, I'm in reception I have a gift for you and I was like oh um, that's really nice uh, if you could just leave it with the guys downstairs that would be great and and I'll pick it up on on my way out she's like are you sure I was like yeah yeah no I'm I'm sure don't worry about it I've got it thank you so much put the phone down, like, walk around my room, pace around my room, freaking out for an hour or so. You're like, it's
2: definitely a dead bunny.
3: <laughs> exactly,
2: <laughs> <It's>,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, my
3: God. So, fatal attraction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and so I go downstairs, and I go and pick up the bag, and in it is, like, a wheel of camembert or brie, a, uh, so a bondage collar with nipple clamps, and a letter that describes all the sexual things that this person would like to do with me, for me, to me. While uh, eating cheese? I th- Well, no, the cheese wasn't <laughs> I mean, mentioned in the letter. But <laughs> the letter did start with, I'm not crazy, but... And I was like, that's not a good way to start a letter. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not never- crazy, but here's some brie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I'm not crazy at all. Here's
2: Brie and the bondage necklace and whatever it is. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Fuck. that that sounds like a pretty weird. So did she eventually
3: find you or? No, no. Uh, I don't think so. That that I don't think we've ever. I don't think we've ever met that that individual and myself. And hey, look, I'm super grateful for the gift. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that's it's you know you still have it. The, no, the I brain. gave I gave it to um, I gave the whole thing to one of the um, bellhops at the hotel. I'd become quite friendly with everyone who worked there, and I was like. Look, this is this has just been given to me. Here's here's this. If you want it, have it. I can't have it. It's freaking me out too much. Including the cheese. Including the cheese. The, yeah, yeah. Could have been poison cheese, but you passed on the gift. Right. Exactly. To, yeah. Just to say
2: thank you. To yeah. Him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could have been like Rohypnol yeah. or something. In yeah. It, you know. <laughs> At
3: that point in time, I was up for a good time, so it would have been all right. <laughs> right. But um,
2: it's crazy what people do, isn't it? It's. I mean, they they go to no lengths. It's uh, or every length, I guess. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, twenty twenty. Uh, counterfeit, James. Just talk about your next, you know, six months ahead, right? You have so we can't really talk about GOT. Yes, but that's, well, no, maybe we can't. We can't but if, <laughs> I guess if we say GOT, it's like code, and people don't really know what it is if you've been living under a rock. Yeah. <laughs> so there's potentially some GOT for those of you who might watch TV. You might right. know what that is. Um, and then, obviously, is the band sort of taking up your next year schedule-wise, or are you kind of balancing it with the potential GOT stuff?
3: Balancing everything as much as I possibly can do. Balancing it so much that today, Scott, I've been plastering a wall in my apartment. Oh, great. You know, just because it's something else to do. Yeah. Well, uh, you
2: said you're living in L.A. now, which is great.
3: I do, yeah. I live in downtown Los yeah. Angeles, do yeah. You,
2: do you enjoy L.A.? Do you like living here?
3: I do. You know, okay. it, took me, it took me a minute to sort of get used to it here. Um, Coming from London, where everything is so you know, close-knit and you have the tube network and you're constantly surrounded by people. The difference, you know, from moving from a city like that into a place where you're pretty much sort of isolated on your own a lot of the time was a sort of big jump. One of the reasons I chose to live in downtown was because, you know, it it is more of a city, let's say. You can walk around. Um, But I love it here now, man. It's great. You know, I can... I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Like if I, I want to paint, I can go and paint, you know, it's sick. I yeah, love it. Yeah. I think there there is
2: more of an artistic movement here than places like New York, but I have to say, and I'm probably gonna get some flack for this, having been here a couple of years and I might prefer New York now. I just I like New Yorkers, I don't know what to say. I mean, there's some great people here, yeah. but I just, I don't know, I'm like, I need that New York thing And It's different, I mean, New York it's different. is yeah. definitely different, isn't I'm it? I'm gonna get some flack for that, but I- I but got your I, back. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> but I agree with you, right? I, the painting, obviously, there's a big musical community. There's way more music going on here than New York. I mean, no yeah. one lives in New York that's a musician. Like, who lives in New York, like, band-wise? The Strokes even live, like, yeah. kind of in L.A. And maybe the IAS still live there, but the very few bands still live in New York. And I'd say like 80% of like the bands in the States, they all kind of converge in LA and there's a a great music and Nashville and places like that. But, um, but yeah, so I get it. And and downtown is reminiscent of a city you can walk in. Um, I don't claim the, Quite get downtown LA yet? I guess I don't know enough people down there or something. But now that I know you're down there, we'll hang out when You've I come down. Yeah, when you're not on the
3: road, touring it's somewhere. super chill, yeah. man. Like honestly, I'm I live like super close to Hauser and Worth, the gallery, cool. and like I can walk and go get coffee. And that's the arts district. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. yeah, and the people around there are amazing, and yeah. it's super creative. There's such a really like strong community of people, and I'm I'm loving it there now. You know, it did take me a minute to get used to it, but now I'm like. I'm in, you know, I'm settled. And particularly, like, at this time of year as well, once the, like, sun has worn off and we're starting to get that nice, cool breeze that comes in. It's beautiful. Yeah, Love LA. You
2: prefer that to Hollywood just because you wanted to be a little bit outside of the mix but still be able to walk every place.
3: Totally, yeah, Yeah. exactly. yeah. Yeah, and I think, like, also, you know, being in the middle of everything when you're in Hollywood, you can kind of, for a young person such as myself who is still finding their feet here in this city and is still finding their feet as an artist. And I think I'll always be doing that and always searching for self. I need to be surrounded by as much reality as possible because I'm very easily influenced by my surroundings. And I love Hollywood, and yeah. there's some beautiful parts of Hollywood, sure. but it is very fancy, it yeah. is very glamorous. And the moment I start seeing that, I'm like, oh, do I need to be like that? Or should yeah. I, you know, whereas in downtown, I can sort of just walk outside and I can be, you know, in my pajamas or whatever right. and, and take a phone call. Can't really do that over this way. Although um, I do
2: see a lot of people in LA going for like brunch in pajamas, which is strange to me. I, I didn't, I never really experienced that in New York. Should we do I, that? Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> I see people in like onesies, like onesie pajamas at like Earth Cafe, and I'm like, I don't know. Like, I get that if that's maybe you're maybe if you're going <laughs> to the corner, but I don't really understand that. But um, wow! So I want to jump to Letters to the Lost, yeah, and one more track from Counterfeit. And by the way, guys, check out Counterfeit on tour. If we haven't talked about it already, which we kind of did, but Jamie and the band have a slew of dates coming up. So October 25th, Rome, Italy, all the way up to December 12th. Birmingham, UK. Uh, I love the I love the British accent, so I should say Birmingham, UK, oh, right? Nice is that one. you? Right, beautiful. Do you know what I mean, mate? <laughs> um, I, every show I got to throw that in. If someone's British on the show, I'm throwing the accent in. So, James. So, um, okay. Well, we're gonna go see you guys on tour. We should talk about all your social handles that we can't use until you get back on Instagram, right? Power Jamie, right? Yep, that's Power Jamie. Jamie. Yep. Uh, the band. Is there like a Facebook page or a website yep. or Facebook
3: page. Yeah. There's a Facebook. Just uh, search for Counterfeit or Counterfeit Rock on Facebook. You can follow us uh, at at, uh, counterfeit rock on instagram and our website is therealcounterfeit.com and the new album comes out when specifically we don't know that's a very good okay, question okay. i think what we're planning on doing is if just. you don't know a, that i don't know yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. if I, who, nobody's told me <laughs> Right. we're just i think what we're going to do is just release as much as we can cool. you know Well, these days you don't necessarily need to release an album right away.
2: So um, you already have, obviously, It Gets Better. So check out, download It Gets Better. Definitely, are there bands that you're touring with coming up or is it more solo dates for the band?
3: We're doing solo dates with the band at the moment. Uh, We will be choosing a support act for our European and UK run. Um, And then I think, you know, towards the sort of beginning of next year, we'll be looking at going out with an American-based band over here and being a support act on that. You know, that'd be sick for us. We'd love that.
2: Yeah, if you could tour with any band, by the way, it's a great question. I mean, who would you be touring
3: with? Oh, my gosh. I mean, who do I even... Start with, I guess, like Foo Fighters would be a big one for me. I love Biffy Clyro from growing up yeah. in the UK. I'd love to It'll, tour with those guys. They're like the British,
2: they're like the Foo Fighters of London, or kind, something. Of, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, totally. They're yeah.
3: super like experimental. Um, they've just released a new record, which is really, really cool. Um, gosh, I mean, the, the list is kind of endless. You know, being label mates with Greta Van Fleet, I think that would be a really sick thing yeah, to that'd do. Be great. You, know, you know, we're family, so that would be killer.
2: Jason, if you're listening, those Madison Square Garden shows, we would like Counterfeit to be on the bill yeah. <laughs> so, Jason where's, where's the cool man Jason what's going on bro? <laughs> um, so that's cool um, but so yeah check it out check out the tour check out the new single definitely get the record when it comes out Jamie it's a pleasure also guys I mean if you haven't seen Jamie and all the movies just go back and download the entire catalog so it's like Twilight Harry Potter you name it I mean and of course the unspeakable GOT possibly coming out. We can't speak about it, but nice. we are excited to possibly see that too, which is <laughs> which is pretty interesting. Um, hey man, you're the best. We're really excited to have you on the show, and looking forward to coming check out the band. Is there an LA date coming up? I know you played just recently.
3: You've just missed it. I yeah. just Moroccan ne- Lounge. Yep, Moroccan yeah. Lounge. It was great. When's was the next fun. one? Is
2: there a next one? I coming think up? it
3: will be next year. Okay, uh, you I got to invite me
2: to that one. Absolutely. Yeah, paper, for course. I got you. I'll be on stage at that
3: one. I Thanks. was just so upset with Instagram by that point. I couldn't <laughs> contact anyone. Like, I was like, I'm throwing this in the bin. Will
2: you get back on? instagram i
3: will are, i will okay. yeah I it will was get like back.
2: a month break
3: yeah It will, i mean it will be until i think i've sort of found a way to use it in the manner that i try and conduct myself on a daily basis as an actual person yeah rather than to sort of like promote self you know i think when you work in this industry i'm going to go off on one now but when you work in this in this industry there can be a lot of pressure no question you know and and i'm like I ain't about that, you know. I'm yeah. about like real shit. So I'm putting that down until real shit starts coming back, and I start to feel like I've got control. So no know? Twitter, nothing. Oh, I'm tweeting. I love tweeting. Okay, tweeting. I love tweeting. I'm still on MySpace, and Facebook, <laughs> yeah. you know. I'm still Facebook on MySpace. Group chats. I've got an MSN, you know, okay. chat account. <laughs> right. yeah. AOL email. email. Yeah. Right. Okay, <laughs> so
2: we can we can find you in some way, Jam. Yeah. But obviously, if you guys want to see the tour dates, still, we briefly touch base on them but check out obviously the website and super excited to hear the new record bro that's awesome rob caballo amazing producer yeah so that's going to be a great great record so super excited about that so awesome dame great to have you here thank you and we'll see you next time oh mate thanks brother you're listening to lips la
1: with scott lip
2: This is a call from an inmate at the Indiana State Prison.
1: My name is Phil Chalmers, and I'm a serial killer profiler. How many murders are you responsible for? 36, 47, and 52. I found your sister's killer. I want to see him face to face. Listen to Where the Bodies Are Buried, a true crime podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hey there, hey Dennis Quaid is here. That's right, and guess what? I have a podcast. It's called The Renaissance, and I think you should listen. I'm having some really cool conversations with some really interesting people, like music legend Billy Ray Cyrus, housewife Beverly Hills, Garcelle Bouvet, and many, many more.
2: Listen to The Renaissance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah.